Welcome to Northgate Christian Fellowship's weekly message series. And now, here is Senior Pastor Ken Jensen. Well, this morning we're going to talk about one thing. Just one thing. Um, have you ever, by the way, have you ever like read something and gotten to the bottom of the page and had no idea what it was you just read? You know, or, or listen to somebody give a talk or, or a lecture or something and walk away from it. I had no idea what he was talking about. Okay? Well, I'm going to guarantee you this morning that will not happen. Okay? I make no guarantees about the quality of the delivery, but I will guarantee you this. You will walk out of here knowing what is important, what the one thing is. It's a one-point sermon. It's going to be easy for all of us to learn because this one thing if, if, if we learn this one thing, if we make this one thing the guiding principle of our life, we will have found what God wants for us. If we as a church, in fact, no matter what we do as a church or what we do as individuals, no matter what programs we are able to offer, no matter how good our worship music might be, uh, no matter how successful we might be, uh, no matter how devoted or committed or, or what we might do with our lives, if we miss this one thing, We have missed the point. We've been going through this whole series talking about losing my religion and all the things that faith is not. And and last week we started, okay, so what is it? What does it look like? And today we're going to look at just this one thing. Just one thing. It's from the book of Galatians. If you want to follow along, we're in chapter 5. Uh, by the way, if, you, if you're not familiar with the Bible, um, the Galatians, this is a letter. The Bible is made up of a lot of different separate books. And much of the New Testament um, is made up of letters written by the Apostle Paul to churches. And, and so this is instructions to churches. He's, he's writing to believers. And in Galatians chapter 5, beginning in verse 1, he writes these words. He says, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then. And do not let yourselves be burdened again by the yoke of slavery. Mark my words, I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourselves be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you at all. Again, I declare to every man who lets himself be circumcised that he is obligated to obey the whole law. You who are trying to be justified by the law have been alienated from Christ. You have fallen away from grace. But by faith... We eagerly await through the Spirit the righteousness which we hope, for which we hope. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. You are running a good race. Who cut in on you to keep you from obeying the truth? That kind of persuasion does not come from the one who calls you. A little yeast works through the whole batch of dough. I am confident in the Lord that you will take no other view. The one who is throwing you into confusion will have to pay the penalty, whoever that may be. Brothers and sisters, if I am still preaching circumcision, why am I being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross would be abolished. As for those agitators, I wish they would go the whole way and emasculate themselves. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. But do not let your freedom, use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. Did you catch it? The one thing? 
In, in case you didn't, it was right there in the middle of this whole passage that we read. One sentence. In fact, we're going to put it up on the screen because you're going to walk away from here knowing the one thing. Okay? And I want you to say it out loud with me. All right? So here it goes. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. That's it. Paul says all this other stuff, all the, all the religious rigmarole, all the, all the rites and, and all of, the, all of the, the disciplines and all these other things, all that stuff, bottom line, doesn't count. Because the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. What's the only thing that counts? Like you really believe that, okay? Okay. What is the only thing that counts? Faith expressing itself through love. That's better. Because bottom line is, like we said last week, God is not so concerned that we do the right kinds of actions. He's concerned that we become the right kind of people. If we did a poll this morning and asked every mother, what is the one thing that will make you feel at the end of all of this that you have done your job? What, what is the one thing that you would want to be able to point to and be able to say, I accomplished what I was supposed to do as a mom? No, it's not that your kids keep their room clean. Although that's a part of it, okay? I think if we pulled moms around here, I think the one thing it would come down to in some way, shape, or form, it would come down to this, that I raised my kids to be able to live their own lives and fulfill who God made them to be. Some version of that, I think, is what we would get from every mom in this room. Because as much as clean bedrooms would be really, really nice, <laughs> and doing their chores without having to be asked would be great, what really matters is who are they becoming as people. And so it is with God. There's only one thing, the one thing that God wants to see in each and every one of us is that we would learn, that we would learn that our faith is to express itself through love in every aspect of our lives. And it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what is. When we're talking about spiritual growth and spiritual development, there's only one thing that matters. It's faith expressing itself through love. Galatians 5, 6. In Christ Jesus, the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. That's the one thing. Now, we have, we have reduced spirituality to a few very select specific activities. And that's how we define spirituality. If I asked you here this morning, I said, how's your spiritual life going? Probably the first thought that every one of you has is something along the lines of, am I reading my Bible? Am I having my quiet time? Am I going to church? Am I praying? And then the second thing you would probably have come to mind is, I'm not doing so well because I'm not doing it enough. See, we reduce spirituality to these few things. Now, those things are vital. They're very, very important. Don't get me wrong. They're absolutely essential. But to do those things for the purpose of having done those things and mark them off on a checklist of some kind or to feel good about my spiritual life because I spent an hour of quiet time every day this week. See, because if that's the case, then our walk with God is constantly shifting depending on how we feel we're performing at this moment. And Paul says, 
It doesn't matter because you could know the Bible backwards and forwards. You could recite it from beginning to end. You could spend three hours of time alone with God every day and still miss the point because the point is that the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. So a better question is not, how is your spiritual life going? Meaning, are you having your quiet time? Are you going to church regularly? Are you in a small group? Are you reading your Bible? Are you praying? Maybe the better question is, are you growing in your capacity to express your faith in love? And maybe that's a question we should be asking ourselves and and each other. Am I growing in my capacity to love? Am I finding new and better ways to express my love to those around me because of the faith that I have in Jesus Christ? Am I growing in my capacity to express my faith in love to the people that I live with? My wife, my kids, my coworkers. Am I growing in my capacity to show love at the DMV? Or to that waiter whose service was absolutely horrible. Or, or the next door neighbor who has that portable basketball hoop sitting right in front of your driveway and it's been there for 10 years, although it hasn't been used for the last three. But I digress. <laughs> Am I learning to express love? Is the ultimate outgrowth of my faith in Christ showing itself in expressions of love. Because if it isn't, I'm missing the point. I'm missing the point. He says, you who are trying to be justified by the law, you've been alienated from Christ. You have fallen away from grace. He says, if your life is spilt spent in religious activity, filled with religious activity, and that is the basis by which you are judging your progress in spiritual maturity, what you are doing is you are alienating yourself from Christ. You are missing the point. See, if I, if I can switch gears and realize that the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love, that brings a whole different motivation to why I read my Bible. Because now I read Scripture, not so I can say I've read my Bible for the day, but because as I read Scripture, I get a better and deeper understanding of what God's love really looks like. When I understand the depth of God's mercy and grace as I read as Christ gave his life for me, and I understand that's love, it changes the way that I read it. If I understand that, that my, my, my time gathered together with other believers is so that I learn how to love better, it makes church attendance completely different. If I understand that giving is designed to make me a more generous, loving, expressing person, not because God needs my money, And not because I'm trying to buy an indulgence from him. But I give because it's an act of faith. It's an act of of gratitude for all that God has given me. 
that it's an expression of trust and faith that he will provide for whatever I need, no matter how much I give away. And what he really wants for me is that my life become a life of generous giving because that's an expression of love. Then it changes everything. See, we have these spiritual disciplines, but they are not for their own sake. They are there to help us grow towards love. They are meant to train us. They're not always comfortable. In fact, they're often challenging and stretching of us. But if they provide that means by which I learn how to express faith in love, then they're doing their job. At the beginning of this year, we we put out a couple of challenges church-wide. We started out with 40 days of Bible reading and just encouraged everybody, okay, sign up for this, make a commitment, stretch yourself a little bit for the next 40 days. And we gave you a Bible reading plan. It was just kind of an overview, but we said, if you will read this over the next 40 days, you will get a pretty good idea of how God has worked in history from creation till this day. And a lot of you took us up on that. And then at the end of that, we did a whole series on prayer. And we challenged people, okay, for the next 40 days, set aside regular times for prayer. And a lot of you engaged in that. Now, if you did that just to be able to say at the end of 40 days, I did the reading I was supposed to do. I did the required reading for the course. And at the end of 40 days of prayer, I said, well, okay, I did it. I did it. I did it. But nothing changed. Your perspective didn't change. Your actions didn't change. Then you've missed the point. Received an email a week ago, and and I just had to read this because this really gets to what this is all about. I won't read you the whole thing, but in essence, it's like this. Pastor Ken, thank you for your prayers. The community is truly blessed to have a church like Northgate here. I did the 40 days of Bible reading and then did the 40 days of prayer. I'm now listening to the You Got Time podcast, which is great. I'm also reading a book that Pastor Brian suggested. I really believe God has been talking to me and telling me what he wants me to do. I'm feeling the warmth and joy in my heart each day. I know I've missed many signs from God over the last month, and I'm praying that I become more aware of him. But right now, God is calling me to my mother's side as she's become ill. And I'm not sure the words I'm supposed to say to her, but I am sure God will provide them for me. I'm going to be gone for the next seven to ten days, but I hope that when I come back, we can sit down and talk. Thank you for the work you do to bringing people to Jesus. You got it. Because it's not about checking it off the list. Because when it comes to spiritual growth, what's the only thing that counts? Yeah. Yeah. It's the only thing that counts. Nothing else matters. And, and if you stumble or stray in any way, there's still only one thing that counts. Faith expressing itself through love. Paul says, he says, you were running such a good race. Who cut in on you and kept you from obeying the truth? Now, Long distance running is often a a metaphor that is used in Scripture to describe the life of faith. That it is a long distance uh, race. And that we're in it for the long haul. Now, some of you might remember this. Back in 1984, when the Olympics were down in L.A., 
um, there was a really big premier race. I think it was a 3,000 meter. And, and you might, some of you might remember this. There was a runner back then. Um, she was actually from South Africa, but um, she was running for Great Britain. She ran barefoot. Her name was Zola Budd. Anybody remember her? Okay. There was an American runner, distance runner. Her name was Mary Decker. Remember this? Okay. And, and this was to be the race. This was to be the race. This was like everybody was looking because these were like the two premier runners in this distance in the women's division. And, and they ran and they ran. And as they rounded one of the turns, something happened. Zola Bud came in and it didn't take much, just a slight break of the stride and it caused Mary Decker to fall out of the race. They were running the same race. And it wasn't intentional, although there was a whole big inquiry into the whole thing. But the final decision was nobody did anything wrong necessarily. They were on the same track, running the same race. But because of just a slight cutting in, someone stumbled and fell and did not finish the race. And it's that picture, kind of that picture that that Paul's describing here. He says, you've been running this race. Who cut in on you? Who's cut you off? Who's causing you to stumble? And, And by the way, here's the thing, because when we hear stumble or stray or those kinds of terms, what we usually think of is temptation to sin. But that's not what he's talking about in this letter. What he's talking about is religion. You're running the same race, but somebody's running it the wrong way. And they've cut in on you, causing you to stumble. See, we tend to think that there are two ways to relate to God. Either to to follow him and do his will, or to reject him and do our own thing. But there's actually a third way, because there's two ways to reject God. You can reject God by choosing to ignore him and do your own thing. Or or you can reject him by choosing to obey his law. But do it as a means of your own salvation. And that one's insidious. Because that one doesn't show itself. And yet it is our default. Martin Luther said, it is our default to religion. (laughs) Martin Luther said. Well, how do you know the difference? How do you know there's, because what he's saying, what Paul's saying here is it's so subtle you don't even notice it. He says it's like, it's like just a little bit of yeast that works through the whole batch of dough. You don't even notice it. You don't even see it happening. But all of a sudden you realize it's taken over everything. So how do you recognize it? How do you recognize when you're, when you're getting off on that religion track, when somebody's cut in on you? Tim Keller's written an excellent book called Gospel in Life. And he does a great job of describing. I I just want to give you a few of the ways that you can tell the difference. He kind of puts up two columns. He says, in religion, I obey, therefore, I'm accepted and loved. In grace, I am loved and accepted. Therefore, I obey. In religion, my motivation is based upon fear and insecurity. In grace, my motivation is based on grateful joy. In religion, I obey God in order to get things from God. 
Under grace, I obey God to get God, to delight in, and to resemble Him. In religion, when circumstances in my life go wrong, I'm angry at God or myself, since I believe that anyone who is doing good deserves a comfortable life. Under grace, when circumstances in my life go wrong, I struggle, but I know all my punishment fell on Jesus. And that while God may allow this for my training, he is exercising his fatherly love even within my trial. In religion, my prayer life consists largely of petition, and it only heats up when I'm in a time of great need. My main purpose in prayer is to control the circumstances of my life. In grace, my prayer life consists of generous stretches of praise and adoration. And my main purpose is fellowship and time with God. In religion, my identity and self-worth are based mainly on how hard I work or how moral I am. And so I look down on those who, who I perceive as lazy or immoral. Under grace, my identity and self-worth are centered on the one who died for me. I am saved by sheer grace. So I can't look down can't look down on those who believe or practice something different from me. Only by grace am I what I am. He goes on and he writes, the vast majority of people are honest out of fear. If you are honest, God will, if you are not honest, God will punish you. Or out of pride, don't be like those terrible dishonest people. He says, in common virtue, you've not done anything to root out the fundamental cause of evil, the radical self-centeredness of the heart. You have restrained the heart's self-centeredness, but you have not changed it. Ultimately, moral people who are being moral out of fear and pride are being moral for themselves. They may be kind to others and helpful to the poor at one level, but at the deeper level, they are doing it. So God will bless them, which is the religious version, or so that they can think of themselves as virtuous, charitable persons, which is the irreligious version. They do it, don't do it for God's sake or for goodness sake, but for their own sake. What is true virtue? It is when you are honest, not because it profits you or makes you feel better, but because you are smitten by the beauty of the God who is all truth and sincerity and faithfulness. It is when you come to love truth-telling, not for your sake, but for God's sake and its own sake. That kind of motivation can only grow in someone deeply touched by God's grace. You can do all the right things for all the wrong reasons when the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. And then all your relationships change too because when it comes to your personal relationships, there's still only one thing that counts. It is faith expressing itself through love. It's the only thing that counts. He keeps saying every aspect of it. What we find in Scripture is that God uses people to form people. And that's why community is so important. That's why being part of a church family is so important. That's why being committed and involved in a community group is so important. Because you cannot learn to love by yourself. You can't. 
The only way you learn how to love is by expressing it to other people. Because it's real easy to think that I am a loving person as long as nobody crosses me up. It's real easy to think that I'm I'm a loving, giving person as long as nobody's asking me for something. (laughs) See, it's easy to believe that I understand love until God makes me have to love somebody I don't like. Love is only learned in community. And so he says, so when it comes to to the church family, when it comes to the the gathering together of believers, it's it's not so we get the gold star on the attendance chart for the month. And it's not even so we can say we have a big and growing church and not, only, and not because we can say um, because we have great church attendance. The reason we gather together is so that we learn together from God's word so that we practice loving on one another because that's where you learn how to love. It's in your family. And there were times you didn't love your brother or your sister. Honestly, there were probably times you didn't love your mother although you'd better not admit that today. (laughs) You didn't feel it. But you did it anyway. And moms, there were times you probably didn't particularly feel all that loving to your kids. But you loved them, regardless of how you felt. And that's why Paul keeps going back to this. This is the only thing that counts. The question to keep asking yourself over and over again at the beginning of each day is, how today will I learn to love better? How today will I be able to transfer the love that God has for me expressed by his unconditional giving of himself on the cross? How can I take that love And my faith and trust that is totally in that work of love and transfer it to somebody else. And at the end of the day, to look back at my day and say, how did I do at loving? How is my life as a Christ follower any different than anybody else I met today? How have I expressed love because of God's love for me? How have I transferred that love to somebody else today? Because the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. The writer to the Hebrews put it this way. He said, let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. What if, what if we did something radical and we joined a church family for what we had to offer to it? What if we decided as Christ followers that my commitment to my brothers and sisters is not because of what I get from them or how good the children's program is or the music is or whatever it might be, that I don't go church shopping for what it gives gives me, but because God has given me something to give others. What if we approached church that way? What would that look like? It would look far different 
than the church in America that we see today. I guarantee you. See, if we understood that all that we do, it really comes down to this. Faith expressing itself through love. And he goes on and he says, the way that you do that, the way that you do that, is, he says, the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. See, all he's doing is saying what Jesus said. Love your neighbor as yourself. And when Jesus was asked, who's the neighbor? What he did was he told the story about a couple of guys who knew all the right answers to scripture. They were teachers of the law. They were Levites. These were the guys who had all the right answers. If you had to take the test, they'd ace it. But when they saw one who was fallen among thieves and beaten left dying, they crossed over on the other side of the street. And Jesus is saying, that is not faith expressing itself in love. But a Samaritan, one who didn't know all the right answers, if it were given a test on their knowledge of the Bible, might get a passing grade, Likely not. But he stopped. And he tended the wounds. And he brought him to a place of safety and shelter where he could recover fully. And then Jesus asks, so who's the neighbor here? Who's the neighbor? Paul says, you were called to be free. But do not, do not use your freedom just to indulge your sinful nature. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. So, here's a pop quiz. What was this sermon about? And how are you going to measure your spiritual maturity? Oh, (laughs) by going to church, by reading my Bible, by having my quiet time. How are you going to now learn to measure your spiritual growth and maturity? By faith. And how will we move forward together as a church? Because that's the only thing that counts. Would you bow your heads with me? Thank you for listening to this week's message. We trust that you'll join us again soon for another uplifting message from Northgate Christian Fellowship located in Venetia, California.